Hello and welcome to the brand new American Reformation podcast. We long to see the wider American Christian church fall more in love with Jesus by learning from the practices of the early church and other eras of discipleship multiplication. We want to hear from you. Make sure you comment and leave a review wherever you're watching or listening to tell us what God is doing in your life or how you feel about today's conversation. Lord, have your way in us. Let's dive in. Happy day. Welcome to the American Reformation Podcast. Tim Allman here with my co-host, brother from another mother who just moved. Matt, you just told me you transitioned to St. Louis. Now, for those of you who are in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, you went to Mecca. Tell me about uh, that move and and introduce our, our guest today for the second time. Yes. Well, uh, that move is is really tied tightly to the stuff that we're talking about because uh, we've moved four times in the last 12 months. I don't suggest that to anyone, um, but when God leads, you follow. Um, but it's really cool. Yeah, we live down the street now from the Purple Palace, if you can believe that. No way. <laughs> so, Purple Palace uh, is the, the international center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So are you like five minutes fun, away? It, yeah, yeah. Like, I just got to get on a bike and, and get there. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's pop in. Let's pop in and talk uh, missional multiplication. Can I get on? I want to go to the Council of Presidents meeting and talk about uh, multiplying leaders. You, you ought to try that, like, soon, Matt. That'd be great. I You know, I just hang outside, and I'll see who walks by, you know? <laughs> we'll just uh, have conversations. Funny, <laughs> but, hey, I'm so really good. excited because we're here yeah. with uh, Steve Pike, who he's he's one of the voices in my life that's been just pivotal in thinking about multiplication and thinking about moving from kind of the older paradigm that I grew up in, which is not bad, uh, like we said before. But if we're going to thrive in the 21st century and we're going to reach those that, that need Jesus, we've got to make some mental shifts. And Steve's been huge in talking through those shifts. So I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Steve. He's in Colorado, leads uh, Urban Islands. Um, and uh, Steve, thanks for being with us again, man. Thanks for having me back. I guess I wasn't uh, a disaster the first time, so. <laughs> Not at all, man. <laughs> oh, man. Well, actually, it's it's fun. So if you guys check it out, uh, we do have a first conversation that we had. And Steve yeah. wrote this incredible book, uh, Next Wave. And Next Wave is all about these 10 missional shifts that 12. we need to make. 12. 12. Sorry, 12 yeah. <laughs> missional <laughs> shifts we need to make. Uh, you know, clearly I read I read extra close. Um, <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're talking about number, you told me we're going to talk about number 11 today, so I didn't want to confuse That's right. the, with, well, the and watchers. I think just as, as I was thinking about Next Wave, uh, I realized you wrote that book, and that book literally released during the pandemic, yeah, which couldn't have yeah. been a more perfect time. Because I think if it had released before the pandemic, people would have read it and been like, oh, I, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, everything seems to be going fine. Everything yeah. shuts down, and it's like right. reading this prophetic work. In fact, I shared it with... <laughs> everybody because i was sitting in a seven hour covid test line um <laughs> reading steve's book going i think more people need to read this but <laughs> the shifts in there it's it's phenomenal you need to check it out online but we talked a lot about those shifts so go back and watch uh the first one if you haven't watched it yeah um but let's talk shift 11 and this yeah. idea of moving from this addition mentality to a multiplication mentality yeah yeah yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think the, the premise of the book is uh, that the 20th century church kind of landed on some practices and values that actually served well in the 20th century culture. But moving into the 21st century, uh, they're not so helpful. And so I was my whole idea was to say, this is where we've been and this is where we need to go. And so addition is is where we were in the 20th century. And what I mean by that was churches were sort of sort of just content to add people to the number of people sitting in the pews. So it wasn't unusual in the 20th century for a church consultant to be engaged with a church. And the goal would be to have if, if the consultation process was successful, the goal would be to have 20% more people. That would be like 
almost impossible. But mm. the idea of if we get, a, you know, a year from now, have 20% more people that are worshiping together, then big win, which certainly is a good thing. Progress, kingdom progress, you know, more people following Jesus, more people deciding to intentionally go worship with others. Nothing wrong with that mm. at all. But, um, you know, when you look at the biblical model of how the church moves forward, it, it the early church was actually built on a platform, this is the way I say it, built on a platform of making disciples, okay? Mm-hmm. And that is the foundational idea behind multiplication. Multiplication is not some kind of, you know, um, whatever uh, a technique for growing the church faster i mean if you if you approach multiplication as that you're probably going to get it wrong um Mm -hmm. but multiplication is actually built on the foundation of disciple making where jesus said go and make disciples teaching them to observe things i've commanded you and basically what he had commanded to do was go and make disciples (laughs) as as well of course you know the rest of that verse kind of talks about uh, helping people become part of a worshiping community and all the the things that are part of that. But the beginning of that, the reciprocating invitation is to you become a disciple maker who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And when that begins to happen, then it is the foundation of multiplication. So it starts, if you will, it starts at the granular level. Multiplication mm-hmm. is not a program necessarily. I mean, there are things we can do and should do to help our our uh, uh, organizations and our churches become uh, multipliers, and, and there are some organizational things, but it's really, really, really hard to do it from the top down without the bottom up happening. Um, and so, multiplication at its heart, as at its root, is disciples making disciples so disciples begat disciples groups of disciples become churches and they begat churches churches become uh you know uh, collections of churches that maybe turn into networks or denominations or whatever and you know the for that to to when that happens, the church will have no problem staying up with population growth, um, all the challenges that are part of the church. So, uh, addition is really inadequate to keep up with the pace of change and world population growth and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Multiplication is the only way that we're going to get there. So, that's kind of the, the basic well, idea. Steve, what I hear you saying is multiplication is a bad goal but a good outcome. Yeah. yeah. Just, just like addition was addition was a bad goal, but a good outcome. And I think right. the problem is we start to turn it into the goal. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, we'll just swap out addition for multiplication. That'll become the goal. Let's get the right. consultants in here. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll tell us that. And what you're saying is the way to get there is to not focus on that at all. And to just focus <laughs> on the core of what we were always called to, which is, Disciple making, which if I remember correctly, somebody said that in scripture that that should be our focus. I'm just trying to remember who that was. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And and I want to emphasize, we start there. That's got to be the foundation. Like if we get the, the disciple making piece right. Then there can be institutional intentionality mm-hmm. that um, harnesses the the uh, kind of the DNA of multiplication that's built into disciple making, and so you can you can see institutional multiplication best. You can I think you can artificially kind of prop it up by sort of you know, learning the the tricks of the trade of multiplication and saying, okay, you know, our church is going to start two churches a year from now until Jesus comes. And people make stuff, make up ideas like that, call it multiplication, but um, that's still actually a form of addition. Multiplication really mm-hmm. happens when, uh, yes, when, when you make the goal, hey, wait a minute, what if we all become disciple makers? <laughs> And um, and we help each other do that. And when that happens, it's like the natural, as you said, it's it's the outcome that's important. Not the it's multiplication is not the goal. It's it's the desired outcome. Yeah. Mm. Oh, this is good, Steve. So 
Many of our listeners are connected to the Lutheran Church, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, um, a confessing, you know, very conservative uh, church body. And and it's it's interesting. We're almost 200 years old, by the way. We're celebrating our 175th um, anniversary as a church body. Um, and I look historically, the tension between the priesthood of all believers and the office of holy ministry is where is where I think the crux of this struggle, especially in a post-Christian secular culture, is. Because if there's an imbalance on, well, the pastor does it, if he's not the word and sacrament guy, y'all come and receive, I, mm-hmm. I would say right now that that may have worked for a while, and yeah. discipleship from from 10 to maybe 200 people, but if Jesus only had 12 and then he sent the 12, like how could we think we can really deeply disciple many more than Jesus? But what what words of encouragement would you give to someone who says, but man, how, how are we going to work through this cultural shift of thinking the pastor does, does it all? And how would you back up that cultural shift uh, with scripture, Steve? Yeah. <clears throat> um, th- those are really great questions. I, I, I'll start with, I really think this, so a lot of times pastors hear stuff like this and we're listening to it as, okay, I want to find the latest hot technique to be able to jump on the bandwagon that all the cool kids are, you know, involved in. And I think even Lutheran ministers who are steeped in all the traditions of the Lutheran church are pragmatic enough to think, you know, I want my church to get as much benefit from uh, you know the latest things that are being learned and all that kind of stuff. So they're so so they think about it from that aspect, and and their thought is how do I get people to how do I get my people to make disciples is kind of where they land. And so they come up with okay, let's do a whatever sermon series or you know a seminar or a cohort or whatever, and it'll all be about disciple making and people will graduate and go make disciples, and that's how we get this going. So here's what I would say. The key is the leader, the pastor, whatever the title of the person is, needs to become a disciple maker first. Like we have to get out. It's not, you know, being behind the pulpit is not wrong, but mm-hmm. if that's all we do, we're we're not actually doing what Jesus said all of us are to be doing, which is to make disciples. And that's, I guess that's the scriptural justification is Jesus said, he didn't say, I just want the leaders to make disciples or I just want the followers to make disciples. He says, go and make disciples, talking to his disciples. And again, built if you if you just read that, read that command or or meditate on the command, it is a it's got this built in it, it's like as it gets passed on, it it just keeps going and going and going. So that ripples down through the centuries to us as a fundamental responsibility for every person. And so it starts with the, the the pastor deciding, or the leader, whatever the title the person has, I'm personally going to be engaged in making disciples. And and once that person begins doing it, and then begins to invite others along with them, that's when a disciple making movement can actually get going. And if the pastor doesn't do that, what happens is other people will pick up the slack and they become the leaders. <laughs> they set in motion a disciple-making movement and, you know, then it gets awkward because, you know, if the pastor's not involved, if it's a side thing, uh, there all kinds of weird stuff can happen. You know, churches can have splits and blah, blah, blah. So it's, you know, I, I just, I think the challenge is every pastor has to decide, every leader has to decide that I'm going to become a disciple maker myself first. That's that's my first step towards setting in motion a multiplication movement. Well, and I think, Steve, you hit the nail on the head, and we are, we are the biggest lid, and we mm-hmm. have to die a lot more to ourselves to be able to yeah. do that. That's been, that's been what we've been doing the last year. And, and let me tell you, the shift— it's challenging when you're used to preaching to several hundred people. And then right. the new dynamic is to pour deeply into three or four uh, right. and take that time to do that. And and you're scheduling that in with everything else you're doing. Um, and it's like, okay, well, I don't have time. Well, if you don't have time, 
how can we look at the stay-at-home <laughs> mom with four kids yeah. and say you should make time or the guy that's you know right. working a second job to support the like but if we look at our schedule and say i need yeah. to make time for discipleship what can i repurpose how right. can I be more intentional? We realize discipling can happen as we go. But once right. we pull that lid off and we die to ourselves a little bit, man, that's when this movement really begins. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the key things is learning to say no to stuff. You know, you really have to look mm. at all the stuff you're doing and ask the question, is that what I'm really called to do? You know, it, whatever that specific thing is, because we know we're called to make disciples. So that's a high, 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 high priority. And um, that means we need to be willing to look at um, everything. Just mm-hmm. take everything we do and lay it before God and say, okay, what, where, because you, you, we have to find space for this. We have to. Now, here's the thing I think it's easier than we think to build disciple making to our lives I, and you know part of the the rest of next wave or other portions of next wave we talk about what we think is just a it, it's it's a modern day explanation of what disciple making was viewed as by the early disciples and bottom line is they were always making disciples like like Wherever they went, disciple-making was not confined to the church building. It wasn't confined to a class. It wasn't confined to teaching. It was literally life on life. And so, for example, I live in a high-rise apartment building in downtown Denver. And, you know, today I got on the elevator to take my dog out, and there was another person on the elevator. And you've got like five seconds or ten seconds, depending on how many floors you're going. And... um I see that, like, like the way my the shift has happened in my brain is that's a disciple making opportunity. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, I can't take the person in five seconds from, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins, atheist, to whoever your favorite, you know, Martin Luther. I guess would be the <laughs> <you know. laughs> the right person for the Lutherans to be excited about. But anyway, I can't take them from one end of the spectrum to the other. But, you know, I can do something to help that person move toward Jesus. And that's so that's what disciple in my mind. So so disciple making actually can be more embedded. But here's the thing. One of the challenges is that we've defined healthy followership of Jesus as only being involved in in church activities. And so we sort of have this dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy. Like when I'm with the church, then I'm serving God and I'm honoring God and da da da. But when I'm working my job or I'm out in the community at Costco or whatever it may be, that's that's not spiritual. And I I think we might have talked about this last time, but I often you know I just remind people the dichotomy is not sacred or secular. That's a false dichotomy. I think it's actually a satanic dichotomy. I, the, the the dichotomy is sacred or sinful. And so, as a follower of Jesus, everything I do is sacred. Everything. You know, having uh, lunch at a restaurant, uh, taking a walk with a neighbor, riding the elevator with a neighbor, that's all, those are all mm-hmm. sacred moments, as well as being gathered around the Lord's table, you know, um, preaching or receiving a, serve, uh, a ministry from of the Word. That's that's sacred too, but er, so because as a follower of Jesus, everything I do is sacred, unless it's sinful. Then that means everything I'm doing every day, walking my dog, um, you know, going to the store, and and so there's you, you're actually influencing more people toward Jesus just by living your life as a person of the Spirit, a person full of the Spirit. Um, then we often give ourselves credit. So it's not like, okay, I have to schedule two hours this week to make disciples Mm -hmm. per se. It might be, how can I just look at what's already happening in my life, make a few adjustments where it puts me, I I think I started to say this, the problem is a lot of times because we've associated sacred with only church activities, then um, we, we think that we're only 
making disciples when we're in a church, like an intentional churchy mm-hmm. kind of environment. And we have to shift the idea that, no, no, uh, everything I'm doing, sometimes it will involve, you know, deeply evaluating, talking through scripture with somebody, helping somebody decide, literally uh, pray to, you know, decide to follow Jesus and accept him as, as his Lord and Savior. But other times it's just being a kind person. <laughs> that they want to have a conversation with again, you know? Uh, And so that's part of disciple making too. So, man, Steve, that is profound, Matt. I I want to go deeper on the sacred and secular dichotomy, but what did you want to talk about, Matt? That was, no, I was just saying, Steve, Steve hit the nail on the head. In fact, we need to look for those easy opportunities to start discipling. Uh, We were working with a church in Vancouver and they started their pastor started training in this with us and then he started changing his business meetings to start with discovery bible study 10 15 minutes of your meeting all of a sudden this discovery bible study starts to shape his team then Mm -hmm. somebody on his team won't mention who his brother across the country starts having some problems issues so this guy from his team because he's had Discovery Bible Study and Discipleship modeled for him, says, hey, let's do Discovery Bible Study together. They start discipling. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, he is helping him grow in the faith from across the country because a business meeting turned into a discipleship opportunity. Yeah. And I think there's all kinds of opportunities for that. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm... So it's not necessarily... Now, it can be... Again, I want to make a point that... uh, the early church, like there was nobody at the point where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There were not very many people in the world that were following Jesus at that point. So mm-hmm. the point is, if the people who heard that just said, well, our response to that is we're just going to meet together every week, several times a week, and we're just going to talk to each other and we're not going to share this with anybody else. Um, that would kind of be missing the whole point. So there was a they somehow they intentionally in in embedded in their lives the sharing of the gospel, the living out of the gospel in such a way that over the next three hundred years Christianity ended up being the religion of the empire. And again, there's some great books about how and why that happened but that yeah. uh rodney stark's book uh, uh talks about his his conclusion is how did how did this this um very minor cult basically in year 33 become the the religion of the empire what made it different than all the other little cultic groups that were populating the roman empire and his answer was that the Christians actually lived out the gospel, basically. That's just my summation of his summary paragraph of, of his answer. So the point is there's real there's real power in just embedding it in, into your life that in everything you do, not just even in church business, but just seeing yourself as helping somebody that isn't doesn't even think they want to follow Jesus. They may be um, like again, Richard Dawkins atheist. They're not looking to follow Jesus. And you say, hey, you want to come into a, a Discovery Bible study? They, their answer might be, no way. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't stop you from seeking to make a disciple of them. Yeah, yeah like I, my, my attitude is we keep giving them the opportunity to follow Jesus, but, but it, depending on where the person is at. And what you just described is a beautiful illustration of making great use of time. But even, mm-hmm. so what I'm trying to, I guess where I'm going is sometimes our busyness with church activities actually prevents us from having time to even interact with people who aren't already following Jesus. We just, so almost, you know, Steve, like we're exacerbating the sacred secular divide. Yeah, exactly. And so we actually have to kind of break out of our bubble. Like, think of it as we've got a contagious positive disease <laughs> and we got to be around other people for them to catch it or it's not, we're, we're going to only be the ones that have it. And so that means we have to change like our, our habits. We have to be intentional. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to, now I've helped a lot of pastors make this shift and you know, they, they say, well, I just don't have time. I'm always in church, and I, I never have an opportunity to interact with somebody who's not a believer. 
And I just say, okay, well, then what might you do? Well, one guy said, you know, I've always wanted to uh, learn how to do jujitsu. So he joined a jujitsu class. <laughs> and now about half of his class is part of his church, you know, uh, after a year, you know, it, it takes yeah. a while. But um, so there's you you build intentionality. And sometimes even churches have such a busy habit of church stuff that they don't the people that are fully invested in the church don't really have bandwidth to interact with with people who are not following Jesus. So anyway, if you we we encourage people to see disciple making as everything that goes on across the whole spectrum from you bumping into somebody who's not following Jesus, disciple making begins there. That's where disciple making begins. They don't know it. Um but you're starting to help them move toward Jesus. You're doing the best you can to help them move toward Jesus all the way across to they're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's so I think the the revolution we have to have in our thinking is instead of segment, I think evangelism happens inside of disciple making. Disciple making is the whole thing. Making a disciple starts before the person decides to follow Jesus and continues after the person. But in the middle uh, is where that evangelism opportunity happens, or the evangelism moment. And they decide to follow Jesus, but you, and but you just call the whole thing disciple making, and then that helps you not. Uh, it, it it's easier to embed that instead of saying, okay, now we're going to go out soul winning, you know, for the next two hours, and then we're going to stop, and we're just going to. No, we're just going to be making disciples all the time, and have people in our lives that are at all different places along the journey, and um. And that's how we're going to do it. Mm, Steve, I love this. Uh, <laughs> there is so much. So what I hear, just to summarize, if you're, a, if you're a church leader, in your hobby, whatever it is, it gets you outside, whatever the rhythm is, this is where you get a bump into people who are on the way to, to Jesus. But then I think it's for the everyday follower of Jesus. It's just a re-understanding, actually, of Luther's uh, idea of vocation. Yeah. In your going, wherever God has placed you, with the unique gifts God has given you, build relationships that lead people to know and follow follow Jesus. Do you agree with that, Steve? Is that another Absolutely. way to understand it? Absolutely. And the actually, the role of the church kind of shifts from come here and serve Jesus to we're here to help you as you go and do what you just right. described. You know, like everybody's got a vocation. And we've sort of downplayed that. We've made it like... People who are uh, in ministry, leadership roles, you know, vocational ministry, they're the heroes in the kingdom. And everybody else, you know, is just like, again, we reinforce this unhealthy idea about the church. And really, it's the other way around. The church, the, the, the gathered church exists to be a place of resourcing and encouragement so that people are equipped to go out on mission in their everyday life. And that that's where the real ministry is happening. That, that's probably not the right way to say it. It's where ministry happens that's just as real as ministry that happens within the confines of the church activities. It's both and, not either or. And But we've emphasized so much, you know, the institutional and the, you know, religionous, religionous, I think I just made up a new word there, uh, like aspects <laughs> of, of, you know, following Jesus to the, to the demise of just being present with people and letting the Holy Spirit work through us in their lives. And, and we have, I, I think the difference is being, you know, that's, that's kind of happening anyway, but when you're cognizant, when you're aware, when you're like, okay, I'm on an elevator for five seconds with this person. What can I do just to help them move toward Jesus? And, you know, most of the time for me, that just means be a kind person, you know, just make it where they're, they think, okay, I wouldn't mind talking to that person again, you know, and then yeah. maybe a month later, we're at a HOA picnic and we sit across the table from each other and now we start to meet each other, you know, and he's not afraid to sit across the table from me because he had a good experience on an elevator, you know, and then as mm -hmm. we have a conversation, we start sharing life and, you know, I find out his, some of his background and, you know, th that's how that's actually disciple making on the pre-conversion side. And we need to become not only we need to become conscious of that. It's not mm -hmm. rocket science. We just need yeah. to see it. We need to 
make it what we call it what it is and help people to realize, wow, there's tons of opportunities already happening in my life. I just hadn't thought of it that way. And it, and it, it really changes it in people's lives. Well, I think the Lord is doing a new thing. About, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I think sometimes we're afraid of the words reimagine um, or innovation because yeah. we think about it as creating something completely new instead of realizing that the best innovation is just going back to the core of your DNA. I mean, listen to what Steve's <laughs> been talking about. He's been talking about, here's what the early church did. You know, right. here's here's how they moved and reached out. And then Steve is digging deeply into something that, you know, a lot of Lutherans should be super passionate about, which is vocation. Yeah. Like Luther was really the standout in saying every job is sacred. Every yeah. job is a sacred calling from God. And I don't yeah. know, you know, Tim, maybe you can help me. I don't know where along the path we lost that, but we need to go back, remember that and really embed that in our people because, you know, the days of lowering the bar to show up to worship, put money in the plate, invite a friend out so we can see, you know, that's a low, low discipleship bar. That to me is the difference between, you know, my three boys love working out. The older two will jump up there and do pull-ups. The younger one, who's only six, he wants to do them too. So he jumps up there and I, I kind of like have to, oh yeah, you're doing them, bud. You know? And it's like, that's what we're doing to the church. We're making them think they're doing something that they're not doing instead of saying, hey, I think it's time for you guys to learn how to do this and yeah. we want to equip you to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So some thoughts there. I think that a vocation is think of a teeter totter, a re understanding of Christian vocation, all offices, husband, mother, father, et cetera, out into the community. That is the balancing seesaw mechanism that moves us to office of holy ministry. The church needs leaders, and we are called to be on mission to send out the priesthood of all believers yeah. to uh, multiply uh, the message of Christ to the masses. So um, I think we need to dig deeply into vocation. It is. It is the catalyst that I think mm -hmm. then when we get together for the gathering, I think the Lord is doing a new thing right now, Steve, in mm -hmm. the gathered and then scattered church. Mm -hmm. Those that are coming to my church, as I'm talking about really the mindset and the, the heart space of the disciple of Jesus going out just yesterday preached on, do not be angry. Anger is not in the Bible. Anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So they're, they're eager to have their character shaped more after the heart of Christ. Why? Because mm -hmm. the struggle against sin, death, and the devil is a real thing that they're encountering right now. And Satan, go back to that sacred and secular satanic divide. I believe it is assault of, yeah. of Satan, man. Jesus yeah. came to seek and save those that are lost. Jesus mm -hmm. goes after the one. Jesus came to love the world. <laughs> and right now we're making those that have different ideologies our enemy. Yeah. Um, and they're not our enemy. Uh, mm -hmm. Satan and his lies is, is the enemy. So anything more mm -hmm. to say about where that kind of came from. And I think the church right now is falling off on one side or, or another. Yeah. Um, I could I could speak to folks that are on the far, far right yeah. that just are, I mean, the far right, this is a religious type of a, of a movement right now. And, and you could say the far left as well, if you're just talking politics, <laughs> the way of Jesus walks that middle middle road or, or moves us to, to find heavenly solutions to heavenly problems mm. where everyone else is playing, finding earthly mm. solutions to mm. earthly problems. And that's, that's Satan's playground there. Anything more to say though, where this sacred and secular satanic divide kind of came from Steve? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, it, it's been a part of the dynamic of the challenge and the dynamic of the church pretty much through the whole story of the church. Um, that's, that's just there's there's sort of you know there's the pendulum swing of uh, the the church we tend to emphasize different things at different times and so you know it's uh, I think what happens is as sin abounds grace abounds more but also as sin abounds we feel like we have to do something about it and we decide the answer is to move harder this way and avoid sin and stay away from sin and uh, obviously stay away from personal sin but stay yeah. you no know, there's a difference between staying away from personal sin and staying away from sinners you know people right. people who need Jesus and when we so anyway i i think 
I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, some of it might be the politicalization of the church where we tangled up, the church got tangled up with a certain brand of politics. And actually, depending on the church you're part of, you're different parts of the church tend to be tangled up in different sides of the political divide. You know, there's churches that are more left-leaning, you know, they they resonate more with the message of the, of the left, and there's churches that resonate more with the message of the right. And I just submit that Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. Um, <laughs> yes, right. And he would, you know, he he if you if you take everything he says and you're hard right, you're going to be offended. If you take everything he says and you're hard left, you're going to be offended because he's He's calling. And and I think when the church just allows itself to be hijacked by these polarizing views instead of being oriented around Jesus, um, that's when we get into trouble. But I think the solution, again, is get back to this simple thing. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's the solution is not some kind of media campaign to tell the yeah. church to. You know, it's not even Do going better. for the middle. You know, that's another myth is like the middle is a safe place. Jesus is the same place, place to be. Yeah, Jesus Period. is. Yeah. It's, exactly. It's, exactly. It's not like, okay, we have to compromise some middle ground. And, you know, we're not trying to make everybody happy. We're, we're, we're trying to follow Jesus. <laughs> and I think there's that's a small huge, little Steve. story. Matt, can, can I just, yeah. there's a small little story of, of Jesus that we often overlook that I think is really formative in Luke 9. So Luke 9 at the beginning, you got the sending of the 12, and then Luke 10, obviously sending to the 70, 72. Uh, and then toward the end of chapter 9, there's this journey with Jesus and the disciples through a Samaritan town that rejects him. Do you remember this? They reject Jesus and the disciples and the disciples go, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Right. <laughs> and Jesus, it, it simply says, and Jesus rebukes them sternly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. In, in my vernacular, he's like, come on, man. Don't you know a fire comes down from heaven? We're all yeah. burning. Because yeah. we all deserve, we've all rejected. So you got a lot to learn, yeah. son, <laughs> as you start to follow me. Yeah, Not just right. the what, but the how of, of yeah, following yeah. me. Because if you've lost love, for the Samaritan who has rejected me, for my the neighbor yeah. that has rejected me, man, you have lost you have lost me. So, anything else to add there, Matt? No, I just lo- I love the way you talk about that because you know what? Honestly, whenever I think about that story, the idea of hey, we're going to burn up too hadn't crossed my mind. But yeah, clearly <laughs> proximity is going to you know <laughs> create a problem for everybody. But I I think also there's that idea of I wonder if Jesus is sitting there going, man, how surprised are they going to be? When they're going, okay, what's the mission? The mission's obviously to tell all our Jewish brothers who have been waiting for the Messiah that you're coming. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria. and the ends of the earth. And, And even the challenge the disciples had with that, because I think that the kind of thing we're talking about, it's going to create tension. It's going to create challenges. It did in the book of Acts. That's why you have Acts chapter 15. And they're trying to work out what does it look like now that all these Gentiles are in the church and what, and that meant change for the church and some things they held on to pretty closely. But I think the important thing that I hear over and over in this conversation is we have to recapture the art of disciple making. Uh, And it's like my buddy Mac Lake said, he goes, you know, in his generation, we focus so hard on getting 10 to 12 together. That we lost the art of sitting across a cup of coffee yeah. and making a disciple. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another story that is is maybe will speak to this conversation as well is Jesus going into Jericho. Mm. And you've got all the people waving and, you know, excited. Jesus is here and he's going along through the streets. And... I don't know. It doesn't say. I'm not. I don't think he ignored people. But it's fascinating that he picked out the worst sinner in town. I mean, Jesus was always making this point. Like if you were following him around, you were going to see him. He was called a friend of sinners, mm-hmm. and and so in that story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was actually in collusion with the Roman occupiers to basically extort money out of his fellow Jewish people. I mean. He was Bernie Madoff on on steroids. And I mean, just another level of the guy was just frankly, he was evil. You know, I mean, that's how he was viewed by the people in his town. And Jesus, in front of all those people, said, Hey, Zacchaeus, 
I want to come have table fellowship with you today at your house. Okay, so Jesus is he's telling everybody, this is where my priority is. And he gets, you know, I don't know when this happened exactly, but at the end of that story as it's wrapping up and Jesus is either at or he's headed to Zacchaeus' house, he makes this statement, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And therein, that is the mission of Jesus. And therefore, if, he, if, if he's the one building his church, that's the mission of the church, is to seek and to save that which is lost. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be intentionally going after lost people. And it's ugly, and it's countercultural, and it's, it's not going to be understood by religious people. Religious people are really going, what is he doing? This can't be the Son of God. He's, he's having a meal with, with this evil man. Um, and yet, so the, the whole point is, our, our mission we join with Jesus on is seeking and saving that which is lost. And uh, yeah, so enough said. <laughs> so Steve, I love the dynamic we got going right here because uh, I'm, I'm seeing myself on the left of the screen and I kind of took the option of like, let's start something new to be able to yeah. do this. Uh, yeah. Tim, my brother over there on the right side of the screen, he is taking something that has existed yeah. And he's making these shifts um, right. and doing some really cool things in the way of that. Yeah. So you're looking at both of us. You're coaching us. What advice yeah. are you giving us individually right. to make these shifts we need to make to move into disciple making? Yeah. So a lot of times, uh, again, I'll just jump back to sort of a institutional answer to start with, but I'll get I'll get to a more practical for a minute, in a minute. But a lot of times when organizations are thinking about existing churches and new churches, um, they treat them almost as competitors. And, you know, it's like, um, if you're going to start a new church, we got plenty of money and we're going to put you up on a stage and, you know, throw glitter at you or whatever. Um, and for those of you that are plugging away with an existing church, God bless you. I hope it works out, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll throw a few bucks your way if you come up with a good plan or something. So, you know, it, it creates this tension between church planners and pastors of existing churches who are trying to help that church flourish again and because we're we're treat and, and we treat them as different like church planning is great and good and the other is you know okay you just got to plug it out anyway here's what i would say to that i believe that church planting and church renewal church revitalization whatever label you want to give to it are the same thing starting in a different place Okay, I think that's really helpful to think that way because the end goal is to have a healthy multiplying church. Okay, yes. but with a new church, you're starting at a very different place than you are with an existing church. And actually, I think it's way harder. So between the two of you guys, I have way more respect for Tim than I do for Matt because Matt's taken the easy way out. He's like me. No, no, no. I've decided true. I'm going to do the fun thing because <laughs> it's actually easier to start a church from scratch than it is to help a church that's already been on a journey to flourish again. Uh, and and that it requires a higher level of leadership skill. Um, there's just a whole – it's just really a hard thing to do. That's why it's – not a super common story is you see a lot of churches where their stories they just kind of go along, go along, go. In fact, Tom Rayner, uh, the guy from Lifeway, did a he wrote a book that was the pre I can't remember the name of the book now, but it was the premise of the book was he was going to do the same thing that Jim Collins did with Good to Great for for companies. He basically studied a bunch of companies that went from being good companies to great companies. And he was looking for the secret sauce, like what's the common elements that all of those companies that went from good to great. And that's what the book is about. There's like, I forget how many common elements that he found that were common practices that helped a church go from good to great. Tom Rayner decided, hey, I'm going to do the same thing for the church. What a service. So he came up with these parameters, like how do you define when a church has gone from good to great. What's a good church and what's a great church? And so he actually decided on just, I think, before he started looking for him, he said, well, it's got to be, and I, I don't remember the specific parameters, but they had to do with, 
number of baptisms, um, you know, stuff like that. Okay, so and there's got to be like this certain percentage increase. But here's the 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 one key or the one element that he made sure was part of it was the same leader had to be there mm-hmm. when the church was good through when the church became great. So he he got a sample of 50,000 churches, 50,000 churches to study looking for churches that fit the parameters that he had come up with of what it means to go to good from great, good, from good to great. And the thing that stuck out to me was he didn't actually put this in the main content of the book. It was in the footnotes. How many of these churches? There's 50,000 he studied. Only 13. <laughs> One, three out of 50,000 fit the parameter. And that's those are the churches he wrote the book about, was here's what they have in common. But my takeaway was, it's almost impossible. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's not encouraging. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, that's why I'm saying it's, it's a really hard thing to do. It's a really rare thing to do. But I, I think part of the solution is that you here, – here's the mistake that a lot of leaders make. So, I guess I'm looking at you, Tim, and I would say if you want to see your church flourish into the future and, and be able to – develop new habits, one of the mistakes or a mistake to avoid would be saying, I want to take the whole church on the journey at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, success is that everybody that is currently part of the church, whatever, two years in the future is going to be part of this this new uh, vibrant church or, or this reimagined church, whatever it may be. Um, I think that is a that's really really difficult to pull off where you bring everybody along with you all at the same time. So what what I would recommend. So let me back let me let me switch to Matt for a second and say if you're starting a new church don't worry about the congregation as much as you worry about making disciples. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's going to set you off and that Pour your energy into making disciples, and the congregation will take care of itself. But you might be able to gather a bunch of people together that call themselves a congregation, but none of them are making disciples. And, you know, all you have there is is a, a bunch of Christians getting together, and they like Matt, you know, and, and the messages that Matt preaches. Okay, so going back to Tim. So what what we recommend and what we've seen be successful is – that you as the leader identify some people within the congregation that you understand based on their behavior, their whatever. This is more of an art than a science, but you identify some people and you invite them into a journey together. Mm -hmm. And you start by saying, I'm going to make disciples. And, you know, I don't know how to, maybe you do know how to do it, but let's just assume you don't. And so yeah, I'm going to make disciples and I'm, I'm scared and I don't know what to do. And, you know, we're going to, you're going to watch me first. <laughs> and then you invite them to start to make disciples. And so this isn't a, you know, this isn't a preach a sermon series for six weeks and then the church is, is reimagined. You, you actually almost, in, in a way, you're forming a side con- con- congregation, if you will, a group of people who you invite into a different rhythm, and you leave the bulk of the people, just not leave them, that's not the right word, but you you don't mess with what's already what you're already doing. You know, because and if you go you go with the theories of uh, diffusion of innovation, it makes total sense. Only about twenty percent of people are really. Right interested in change to the point that they're willing to change their behaviors. So instead of the 80% are not, they prefer to stay the same. So instead of fighting that resistance and making that where you have to put your energy, go with the goers, you know, and, and then you have to, so I always say, reduce the energy you're giving to the people who 
are, are going to be prone to sort of just stay where they're at and increase your energy to this group over here. Give your energy here. Figure out a way to do this with minimum energy. And over time, this is going to start to flourish because it's loaded with life. And over time, people in the existing congregation are going to go, wow, this, I love what's happened in, in Billy Bob's life, you know, and I, I, how is that happening? And, and they start finding out about it. And so instead of, trying to you know uh, conquer this huge resistance that people have well-intended resistance they're not evil people um, instead of trying to overcome that you instead give breathe life and energy into people who are ready to go there go into the new and let that grow and grow and grow and pretty soon at some point well there's there's probably two out three outcomes that might happen with this kind of process one would be you really <laughs> <laughs> you really get it wrong and you blow the church up and that's one possibility. Okay. The second possibility is you actually realize, okay, what this, what we've created over here is actually the seed for a new church. And instead of trying to bring the two congregations together, you just send this one out and then you do it again. That's not a bad thing. Then the other option would be that you find a way where there's enough excitement generated where the, the the bulk of people say, yeah, we, we want to go where this group's going. And that can happen too. So that that would be my counsel to to you, Tim, for an existing church. And then Matt, just build on a platform of disciple making, like mm -hmm. relentlessly. Uh, don't People will come to a new church and they're like, hey, when are we going to start doing this or that? And it's all like institutional elements that mm -hmm. they personally love and desire, and they will sidetrack you from a disciple-making focus. Don't let them do that. Stay focused. Uh, Steve, so much <laughs> wisdom there, bro. Like. I am I am so excited and I, I never want to forget what it's like not to know. So I'm 40, I'll be 42 next month. I was 31, 32 when I came into a divided church in school. We have a lot of schools in the Missouri Synod mm -hmm. and financially anxious, a lot of debt. Um, we had $11 million worth of debt, worship being about 400 people. And so it was, it was a little overwhelming, but I didn't have the wounds of like trying stuff. And it kind of, so you're just like, yeah, I, I, I want to play the 31 year old dumb pastor, like my entire ministry, you know, where it's like, I don't know exactly what God's going to do, uh, but he called me here and I, I'm, yeah. I like you. I like you. And let's see what the Lord does. And I, yeah. I promise to be here to bring the word consistently with passion. And and uh, I'm going to invite other people on. So what we kind of did, you work with what you got, right? You work with a willing. It's a small group yeah. of people. And this small group of lay leaders came together within six months, Steve, and started a ministry called La Mesa. Now that has two sites, it's working poor and homeless meals, uh, resume building, moving people into sustainable living. And it, the new thing with a small group of people over the course of, I'm not even in it, it it's the Lord's will, Lord's timeline, but it was like two years mm -hmm. and, and Christ Greenfield went from being, whoa, man, that church has some stuff going on to like, they're a missional multiplying new start type of mm -hmm. an engine. And now our vision is 20 campuses, yep. 20 years, multi-congregational approach. We're, we're starting some that will be supported by Christ Greenfield, recognizing in time, they're going to be, uh, you know, probably self-sustaining, different branding, all that kind of stuff. But the innovation that comes with working, I don't know that you even got to get 20% right up front get no. five percent oh, no. of the car no. yeah, yeah get five yeah. so yeah, say it's a biggest, thousand yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that, the that's highest, another right? myth that's another yeah. myth uh that needs yeah, to be blown up you know there's actually some really good research has been done on what the tipping point is in fact i malcolm gladwell's book tipping point talks about like what does it take and he makes the point it's as it could be as little as three or four percent that's right uh that are people who are passionately focused on a new direction or on, on, you know, a new way of being the church or whatever can actually set in motion a profound movement in it. But you're, it sounds like what you're talking about is exhibit A of what I just described. You know, I, I didn't know. I didn't know it. It was just got, the Holy well, Spirit. And, that, right? and, that, yeah. and that's how, but it, you know what? If you get behind the stories of churches that have actually accomplished what you've accomplished, it's, it's a very simple, they kind of stumble, stumble into it. So actually, we wrote what happened with Next Wave 
wave is people started going, well, what about new churches? I mean, what about existing churches? Because ne- next wave was sort of written with the idea of these are the shifts you got to make when you're starting a new church. And they said, what about an existing church? And so we actually are in the process of writing the book, The Reimagined Church, which nice. basically takes this brief conversation we've had and just blows it up over Another 12, cha- I'm, I'm like stuck on 12 chapters. That's just my thing. I don't know. 12 apostles, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, we actually are writing that book and should come out in the fall, uh, which the idea is to help. Like you said, you kind of accidentally stumbled into it out of desperation and stupidity and, and maybe some, probably some anointing of the spirit mixed into the, all of that. Um, but instead of, instead of people, you know, I, again, just say, here's some, Here's something to think about. And I've actually, the cool thing in writing the book, we've actually been walking some groups of congregations through this exact process and helping leaders do that. And it's different in every situation. You know, mm-hmm. the situation you inherited is different, but it's, it's, we're seeing it work well across, you know, denominational differences, theological variations, all that kind of stuff. It's just, these are sort of just sociology. It's not, it's not magic <laughs> and it's not hidden. It's stuff that everybody kind of intuitively, oh yeah, that makes sense. And it works. Well, and I think that's huge, Steve. And kind of, you know, one of my last questions for you is, you know, I think we can all agree this, this is a shift we have to make. And we see a couple pathways we could do it. We could take the existing, we could start new. Um, how do I determine which pathway is best for me? Because I think what I heard in Tim's story is 10 years. And when I'm thinking about my story, you know, about 10 years, you know, everything's going to take time in the making yeah. and it's all going to be wildfire. So how do I help determine which pathway would be best for me to make these moves? Yeah, I think it comes that's a that's a really great question. I don't know if there's a like super clean answer to that except to say, you know, there's a sociological principle past behavior predicts future behavior. Mm-hmm. So, when you think when you reflect back on uh your leadership opportunities and where did you thrive? Did you thrive mm-hmm. where you you basically started with a clean slate and there was nothing and you created something something out of nothing so to speak or are you better wired to be somebody who takes something that's already there 11 million in debt or whatever you said it was you know and you know for so i'm i'm wired to be a starter like when Mm -hmm. when tim said that 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 sounds like an absolute nightmare to me i i don't i would go into that situation um now i think because i'm older and i have some wisdom i probably wouldn't do this but in my younger version of myself i would have i would probably blown that thing up tim tim has the right giftings to understand how to nuance it and, and work through it over time and not get stuck. You know, one thing that can happen with those churches, they just get stuck and you, you can't move them off center because you're, you're getting. So anyway, the point is it, it takes a certain uh, wiring of a leader and, and I, you know, it's more complicated than just two, two kinds of leaders. But generally speaking, especially if your track record is like, okay, I started, you know, I mean, I look back at my life and I've just been starting stuff my whole life. That's what I do. I start stuff, you know, so that's where my zone is. That's where I'm, that's my happy place. That's my most productive place. Once something gets going, I mean, I started CMN, you know, planted, cut several thousand churches and I got bored with that, you know, because I wanted to move on something else, you know, Uh, other people would go, wow, why did you leave that? You know, but that's, I'm wired differently. Now, on the other hand, there's people who just go in and they, and, you know, they take something and make it better. They see the opportunities in the foundation or they see the opportunities. And so just reflect on your own journey and say, you know, what, where am I most productive? Where am I happiest? Where am I, uh, where, where do I see fruit? And, and that would kind of answer the question, whether you start something new or take something existing. This has been so much fun, Steve. Uh, I mean, I'm leaving the conversation with so much Jesus juice, hope, optimism. There's there's so much opportunity right now um, in this chaotic, crazy world in which Jesus died and rose again to to redeem. So, listener, whatever whatever the Lord has placed upon you, I just double click on your last thing. Deep dive on knowing self. 
Invite mm-hmm. other trusted friends to help you mm-hmm. kind of know the way you do it. But then the non-negotiable of the conversation, go on mission to to make disciples who make make disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, find others. Yeah. If you're a pastor, if you're a pastor, find others who can teach. Second Timothy 2, 2, that they yep. can find others who can teach that could potentially over time, long after you're probably, uh, your soul or your spirit is with the Lord, uh, could be reaching reaching people. You know, that's, that's, and I don't know that everybody has that kind of in them, but um, I, my one of my prayers, Steve, is that more of us, whether you're a new leader starting out in your 20s or whatever, or you're you know a seasoned leader, or somewhere in the middle, like uh, Matt and and I are, that you would kind of say, my life, it's not mine. And this yeah. legacy, it's not mine. It's a legacy of Christ. Mm-hmm. And and we we think so individual and so short term. Yeah. But Jesus thought, Jesus thought way beyond him. And well, right. let's go, not just Jesus, obviously Yahweh from the very beginning. Uh, my, my The anger of the Lord, I'm slow to anger, but what, I'm abounding in steadfast love, Exodus 34. Yeah. And that steadfast love goes on to thousands of generations of those who know and know and follow me so that we would think be, be beyond where we currently yeah. are right now. That's one of my prayers. Any final thoughts, Steve, as this has been so much fun. You're awesome. <laughs> Oh, I had a thought, and uh, somewhere along the line, it, it went out the window. It's okay. Um, I, I just, I, I guess I would, uh, yeah, I think I love the fact that you kind of landed at the place back where we started, which is making disciples who make disciples. And my challenge would be that everybody really dig deep into that, and especially the leader that has kind of given themselves permission to sort of get into the, I, I don't know, just become somebody who teaches other people. I think you, you know, what's beautiful is when you have your own stories that just happened in the last two weeks or something, you know, to tell about making disciples. And it's not that hard to get there because it's really just starting to interact people around with you. But I think that is going to be the, the tipping point of a revolution is when the leaders of the church themselves begin to make disciples and then invite other people around them to do the same thing. That's, that's yeah. the whole picture of disciples. Jesus, Jesus said, you've been watching me make disciples. Now you go do this. And we do the same thing. And that's, but you can't, Jesus did it first. You know, he showed the way. He didn't say, okay, here's how you make a disciple. One, two, he just did it. He showed them. And that's what we're, that, that's how we do it. So I, I think I just want to, to me, that's the key to the whole thing. That's like the foundation. You get that right. Everything else will land in, in the right place. Final thoughts, Matt. I, I would 100% agree. Um, and realize, especially if you're a church leader, it's, it's going to feel much smaller. And, and I don't want to use the word insignificant, but maybe insignificant to what you're used to doing. But it's not one, one year down the road, it will be unbelievable seeing the traction that happens. So I, I just that, try that it. reminds <laughs> me of what I was going to say earlier. And there's the parable of the talents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things we have to avoid is comparing ourselves to there are some people who have five talents and some people who have two and some people who have one. And, um, you know, they're, they're all contributors to the kingdom. They're, they weren't viewed. You, you see that the, the only thing people got rebuked for was not using the talent they were given. That's it wasn't, you know, well, you should, the one should be doing as much as the five. It was. So anyway, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is absolutely don't measure. We've got to put some kind of blinders on or something and stop uh, trying to, you know, either be intimidated by people that we think are more talented than us Mm -hmm. or feel superior to people that we feel are less talented than us. That's such a dangerous path to go down. And it's super subtle. And in this area of making disciples, like you said, Matt, you know, I've seen situations, depending on the circumstance, it might take it might take a long time before you start to see fruit that you feel like is worth counting. And that's where we get back to the other absolute foundational principle that I kind of talk about in the book a little bit of obedience trumps everything. You know, one of the worst things that happened to the 20th century church was we made excellence the number one value that everybody was shooting for. And that is not a kingdom. That's a that's an American idea. Is excellence as the number one value? Obedience 
trumps excellence every time. And so, what is God calling you to do? And if God's calling you to sit with five people for five years and just pour into them, then do that. And I realize that that creates a lot of very practical challenges. Like, how do you how do you make a living if you're doing that and stuff like that? That's a whole nother discussion. But if you know, the question is, what is Jesus calling me to do? And then do it. And you, if you're a one talent person, it's going to be different than a five talent. And stop looking at everybody else. Just do what you're called to do. Mm, Steve, okay. this has Selah. been so much fun. <laughs> ah, Selah, yes. Well, this has been so good. Hey, Steve, if people want to connect with you and reimagine church, is that what we should look for here in the, the yeah. fall? Yes. Yeah. Sometime in the fall, we're still working out the details, nice. but the book is basically written. Yeah. So reimagine church. It'll, it'll be available. I think it might be, I, this is premature, so I probably shouldn't say, but that we're working with a publisher and, and it may, it'll be with a publisher you're familiar with. Um, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, but, but anyway, to, to get in touch with me, um, probably the simplest email for me would be Steve, S T E V E at UIP, UIP dot city. Um, mm. Steve at UIP dot city. That has the fewest letters in it, so it's kind of the easiest for people. And that will get to me. So fun. Uh, Matt, love partnering with you uh, to learn from amazing leaders like Steve. And I think we're going to do this a handful of times into the future, and that will be that will be great. This is the American Reformation Podcast. Sharing is caring. Please like, subscribe. It, you guys may not know, but uh, the Unite Leadership Collective, this is a podcast, the Unite Leadership Collective. Uh, the, the audience is growing, and wherever you are taking this in, if it encourages you and you find joy, you find hope, you find uh, encouragement to start new things, to reach new people with the gospel or just do the one right next thing, which is find that brother or sister that you're journeying alongside, your neighbor, your coworker, and just start to lean into Jesus conversations with them, man, the Holy Spirit will show up and, and show off. This is the American Reformation Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. The Unite Leadership Collective is excited to announce the launch of our new online learning platform. Whether you're considering entering into ministry or already leading, we have the resources that you need to become an empowered leader in your ministry. Our learning platform will release new courses every quarter with our first available course, Becoming an Engaged Leader, available now. But by joining our monthly membership, you'll unlock unlimited access to all of our courses and gain entry into our exclusive coaching community space where ministry leaders can connect with each other. This community also grants you access to bi-weekly coaching calls led by the ULC team, private Zoom calls, and additional team discounts. To celebrate the launch, we're offering introductory rates for all of our courses and the monthly subscription plan. Just enroll prior to January 1st using the code 75ULC2023 to get 75% off at checkout. Visit theuniteleadership.org to learn more about our online learning platform and start your journey to lead effectively in any church settings today.